Welcome to Soulcraft Stories. These are conversations with people that are, in spite of the challenges, hurdles, and the mundane, are writing meaningful and fulfilling life stories. Like you and me, they have families, jobs, responsibilities, basically real-life stuff we all deal with. But they aren't waiting for someday, because that day might be too late to get your story started. They have, in their own ways, fought back against the resistance of excuses, society, laziness, and a bunch of other crap that, in the end, when the final chapter is written, is meaningless anyways. They've pursued travel, overcome addictions, learned new skills, and set big goals for themselves. Their stories aren't unique, but they're unique to them. So join me as we learn from each one of them and take their insight, advice, and turn it into permission for ourselves to stop procrastinating and start writing our own great life story. This conversation almost reads like a movie script. From being held at gunpoint in South America, immigrating to the United States, and having to sell your wife's jewelry just to pay the bills, which all leads to an ending that involves a Corvette and a special license plate. If you want to be really motivated to go out and live your great life story, then you need to listen to the story of Carlos Cardenas. In a further twist to this episode, we have Michael Corley hosting the show. Michael was one of my first guests on Soulcraft and has his own awesome story. But we're trying to create a ripple effect, and the more stories that ripple out, the more opportunities we all have to learn and inspire each other. And that's really the point of this podcast, how we can all be inspired by people just like us that are writing their own stories. So without further ado, here's Michael and Carlos. Well, Brian, thank you for that introduction. I'm excited to check off another bucket list item to host a podcast ever since you did this starting, well, about six months ago, and I was on the the January 14th of your podcast. I thought, man, that'd be kind of cool to do. So Brian, thank you for that opportunity, and it, it's it's an absolute pleasure for me to do this because I, I get to interview somebody who's become a dear friend over the years who's just got an incredible, fascinating life story. We first met each other probably about a little over oh, 15 years ago, somewhere around 15 years ago when we worked together, have become friends, and so that's my, my friend Carlos Cardenas. Carlos, welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much, Michael. Yeah, 15 years. Boy, time flies as you're having fun, right? Boy, it, it really does. And, and this is going to be a treat today. And, and I'm excited that everybody's going to be able to listen to this podcast and listen to your story because there's so much that you have to, to share. Your life has been absolutely fascinating. But I want to start it off with, with one of the first things. So in the pre-show, we were discussing visualization. And, and setting your mind to things. And you talked about your wife and she was a, an object of your visualization and, and the success of it. So share, share a little bit about that story. I think that's really neat. Oh, definitely. Yeah, uh, yeah, Michael. So, you know, over time I've realized as I've listened to a lot of people about the power of visualization and I really didn't realize that, you know, I've been doing that all my life. And uh, so I, I, as I was mentioning to you before, as I look back on my life, see, there's been a lot of people in, in my life that have helped me do this, but uh, there hasn't been one real thing that I haven't really wanted to do that I haven't been able to do. Uh, now, has it been easy? No, but it hasn't been one thing that I haven't visualized and, and put it out there as this is something I really want to do that hasn't happened uh, as, of, as of yet. 
And I believe that will not happen as much as I want to do something. As long as God keeps me here in this world, I will definitely push to whatever uh, I, I want to get accomplished. But yeah, the first visualized many different things, but the real one that I think made a huge impact in my life. And I think it's been the best decision I've ever done is actually my wife, Christina. We had uh, a very unique relationship as uh, I'm originally from South America, from Colombia. She is from Colombian parents as well and was living in Colombia while we were in studying in, in college. Very quickly on, we, we hit it off. But for me, it was, I had realized, and believe me, this did not happen with any other girlfriend I had. Every time somebody would talk, talk to me about you know, marriage or anything like that, I'd be like running away. But very early on, I realized that this was a person that I had to have in my life. I, I just realized that it was within weeks that we were literally talking about marriage. And within weeks, we already had the names for our three daughters. I oh mean, this is, it was crazy. Yeah, crazy. But what was very unique about it was that she had to come back to the U.S. because in the time I was going to college, things in Colombia were very rough. At the time of Pablo Escobar, all the drug dealers, there was bombings everywhere. So her family said, you're coming back. So we had literally a two-month being a boyfriend and girlfriend. Yeah. And she had to move back to the U.S. And at that time, there was really no internet or anything like that. So we had a long-distance relationship. A long-distance relationship is not that easy. So as much as we fell for each other, I think I was more in line for what I wanted than she was. And I had to be very persistent to make sure that we ended up getting married. So multiple times I had to kind of go through the whole, uh, maybe we should be friends. And I'm like, uh, no, it's, it's either we are or we're not, but it's not going to be a friendship. So that was probably the first thing that I visualized. And I guess I visualized and I never knew that the visualization was going to be significantly even better than I ever expected. Uh, I know you've got three daughters because I've met all of them. And the names that you all selected when you first started dating, is that what you named them? Yes, yes. Well, tell, us, tell us their Juliana names. Give them a Gabriela. shout out. <laughs> sure. Yeah, so we, I have three, three daughters and, and two sons. So that part we didn't realize. But we said if we have three girls, we're going to call them Alexandra, Juliana, and Gabriella. And then now we have two sons under, under them. They're younger. Uh, so that's Nicholas and, and Lucas. So we did not have names for either one of them. And it was a very hard part to, to come up with the names because we could not agree on them. Oh, that's great. Well, I tell you what, it's an absolutely beautiful family you have. And I got to tell anybody, they, they, the five best looking kids probably around. So you all have done a good job. And I love, Carlos, how you said, uh, basically, Christina, I'm going to marry you. Um, I'm going to visualize that. And it's just going to happen. You don't even know it. So and, and, <laughs> and, and I love watching you two together because you're, you're two clearly madly in love with each other. And y'all are two very special people. So congratulations on that. Thank you so much, Michael. I'm very, very blessed. Thank you. You were talking a little bit about growing up in Colombia. So for those of us who are in our 50s and remember the days of Pablo Escobar and hearing about it, what was that like? What was, what are some interesting facts that came out of Colombia? When you live there, you kind of, it, it kind of becomes part of you, right? So it, a bombing is a bombing as long as you're not there. So you just kind of become more immune to it. It's kind of weird. But it's really not a normal way of living. Uh, was blessed enough to move here to the U.S. and to not have to deal with that anymore. But it definitely has had some very <laughs> interesting situations I've run into as, as I live there. Being young, I'm six foot two. So for Colombia, I'm a big guy. 
right? Mm. So, I'm very tall, right? So in Colombia, when I was younger, I was, you know, very big, kind of like one of those that say, hey, I have no problem getting into fights and stuff like that. But here in the U.S., I'm not, right? I'm mean, pretty, pretty average size. But because of that, we, we ran into situations and go out and party. You try to have a normal life like every young person does. Mm. I was I was a major partier. I started my first business as a DJ in middle school. So music and partying and getting paid for it was part of my life. Uh, but being in Colombia, Colombia is a beautiful country. We had some people that just destroyed that part of, of our country. It's just a beautiful, a lot of people there are very friendly. Uh, it was It was just an amazing place to live. Other than the fact that we had situations where uh, we had bombings and kidnappings and, and, and so forth. We learned how to live with it. I had a situation, I think I was telling you a while back, I went to visit one friend of mine. And it's not untypical to have houses where you have like a little guard outside making sure that things are okay. And I arrived to her her house. It was on a Saturday. I remember it was like, like 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock, not very late. No, the guard wasn't outside. I was like, mm, that's kind of interesting. Knocked on the door and the they opened the door and when I say they it was a group of people with machine guns and I so happened to be there at the wrong place oh <laughs> at my. the wrong time. Oh my! <laughs> they were actually in the middle of robbing the house. Oh my! All right, so they're stealing everything from the house. Thought you know if I ever get a gun to me or a machine gun, that's going to be the scariest time in my life. That's what I thought. But it was kind of interesting. You know, I had a machine gun right here in my, right, they put it right here on my neck oh. and uh, one on my, on my, on the back of my head. And they said, don't move. And I was just like, okay, I won't move. I didn't feel any fear. It was kind of weird. It was kind of like surreal. To give you a little part of the story, because I think it's going to be important to, to share this. As they were stealing the, the house, they didn't prepare very well because they were planning on using the cars from my friend's house to take all the stuff with them. <laughs> they couldn't find the keys so guess whose car they're going to take all the stuff with my car and this car was my dad's car and my dad had literally had passed away probably like three months before this three or four months beforehand so you know I was not very happy that they were going to take my dad's car and as I go in they had the maids in the room my friend's sister was in the room they're kind of telling hey Give me your watch. And that was my dad's watch again. And it, it was kind of interesting because I said to the guy, no, I'm not giving you the watch. He says, like, no, you're going to give me the watch. I said, no, this is my dad's watch. I'm not going to give it to you. Like, so, so think about how crazy that is. This guy has a machine gun. There's several machine guns there. And I'm arguing with the guy. Right. So he finally says, hey, if you don't give me the watch, I'm just going to take it as soon as after I shoot you. So I said, OK, here's a watch. So then obviously they take my watch. I'm kind of very upset about it because it's my dad's watch. And then they're taking the car. And as they're taking the car, here's, here's another anecdote, which is kind of interesting. You just never know how you're going to react to situations. I tell them this story. I said, hey, you know what? That car is not really mine. It's, it's a car from a place that I work. And if, if you take it, you know, they're going to fire me. Can you just at least, if you're not going to steal the car, can you just tell me where the car is so I can go pick it up? You're not going to believe this, Michael, but, you know, obviously at that time, there was no cell phones or anything like that. They actually called and said, your car is in this place. Oh, come on. <laughs> and, yep. And I go, <laughs> go find the car. We pick it up and I have my car. They had stolen the radio and stuff like that. But that's kind of interesting that you would be negotiating in a situation where you could potentially be literally killed. That's my story on 
from my life in Colombia. That, that's One of a, them. That is a fascinating story. I, I, you've probably outdone everybody that's been on this podcast, and that one's going to be a tough one to top. Uh, but but you, you touched on something there, and I appreciate you sharing it. So what the guests what are probably going to be very interested in hearing is you've had an interesting entrepreneurial journey. And so you talked about back in eighth grade, you were mixing it up as a DJ and making money. And I think it was a very profitable business for you. So that was your first touch of entrepreneurialism. Can you talk a little bit about that and maybe your entrepreneurial <laughs> journey and how you went between that and corporate life? And, and and I share that with the guests because so many of us, you know, you listen to podcasts, you read these books, and the entrepreneurial journey is so so fun and easy and shining and everybody's successful. And Carlos and I both know having had our opportunities to prove <laughs> prove that theory wrong, that that is not always the case. And then it's a lot of times it's one step forward and two steps back and a couple steps to the side. So, so talk, take us from you're mixing up as a DJ, having a good time, and you know just talk a little bit through your your journey. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. So that was my first experience. My dad, he was an architect, and uh, he always wanted to be be an engineer. He always thought I was going to be an engineer. I'll, I'll share that later if you want me to. But very early on, I realized that I was always trading things. Like I would trade, like I'd get a watch, he'd buy me a watch and I'd end up having a stereo. I was always, it was always about business, trading things. That's how I really love things. And and over time, my dad was very into music. He had, he had like what it was called like an audiophile room with all of these pieces of equipment, beautiful, all these records. I mean, he had really a whole room out of it. And so I would get his like scraps. There was this guy in, in school and he had a DJ business with the lights and the fog machines and all this kind of stuff. And I thought, boy, that is such a cool thing. I want to do that. So this was probably the first time I heard something that a lot of entrepreneurs, when they want to do something, uh, a lot of people tell them, right? It's like, Are you crazy? You're never going to be like that guy. Like he's got it going, man. Like, and you're starting with this little stereo and, and so forth, I said, yeah, I'm going to start doing that. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to beat that guy. So once I started kind of getting a little bit of push and they're going like, oh, this guy's actually doing some, some business here, right? He's starting to, hey, we want to be your partners, <laughs> right? I'm like, excellent. You know what? I need to buy equipment. So, you know, we need to buy equipment. So each one of you is going to put X amount of money and so forth. You know, this is eighth grade, right? And they're going like, uh, we don't have money. Well, if you have no money, when, what, what, what are you going to do with the partnership? Right. Oh, we'll go with you. We'll go with you to the parties. I said, well, I don't really need that. <laughs> right? I, I, can, I can pay you to help me you know, do some stuff, but I don't really need a, a partner. But uh, lo and behold, it went really well for me, little by little, right? It took a while. Success with the um, DJ business. Mm -hmm. And uh, over time, we became the number one DJ business in the school and outside in, in, in Bogota. Like, we were like the one to, to call. Oh, my uh, goodness. So, it was it was amazing. It was a great time. Completely different being an entrepreneur in that age because look, I didn't have any any type of expenses. I lived at home and I didn't have any family to support. So it was awesome. Getting money, I can do whatever I want, but I really don't have any really, really big expenses. Uh, but it really taught me a couple of things, which were that with with a lot of work and determination, and obviously something that I really loved to do, right? Which was you know music was a huge part of my life you can do very well with it if you stick to it. And if you don't let other people tell you that, that you can't do it, right? Because that's the first thing that most people will tell you is 
uh, you can't do it. Somebody already did it. Well, and I, and I also think it's interesting that you learn very quickly, um, just in that example, go out and do it yourself and actually do it and take the risk, the risk being people laughing at you. And then as soon as you taste a little bit of success, someone says, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll join you. I'm not going to take the risk. I'll, I'll join you. And that's really a classic difference between an entrepreneur and a non-entrepreneur. And not that there's anything wrong with being a non-entrepreneur, but it's different. So it, it, you size it, it that really, up pretty quickly. It is really different. And, you know, one thing that I've, I've learned through time is, and I heard this quote because I, I had other situations, specifically when I, when I opened my latest ABP, uh, was I couldn't really understand why I had shared it with several people. And I'm going like, we could do a really great partnership in this. And, you know, everybody said the, li- the numbers line up, everything was lining up. And I'm going like, but I could tell that they weren't jumping into it. And I, I heard a, an interview that they did with uh, Jack Ma from Alibaba. Alibaba. Mm-hmm. And, and, <laughs> because I, I, I listen to a lot of people, right? So I, I had the, the fortune of being able to travel a lot. And I'm, as I'm traveling, I'm listening to, to people who have done very good things and who have been successful in different ways. But he mentioned one thing, and it really resonated with me. And he said, you know, entrepreneurs believe before they see. Ah. Most people have to see before they believe. And that's when it really hit wow. me because every time I'm trying to do something, sometimes I'm already believing way before yeah. things are happening, right? And and I'm going like, well, what? everything sounds good, right? And they're going like, yeah, it does, but uh, I, I'm not doing it. They, uh, they have to see before they believe. And that was very revealing to me. Well, that's interesting. That kind of goes back to your whole concept of visualization, believing it, that type of visualization, because you're not talking about physically seeing it, it's imagining and projecting out. That, that's pretty neat. So so, so you start off in, in middle school as this entrepreneur, then take us up to you. I think you said you came to the States when you were 25. Yes. Then, then you kind of went corporate a little bit. Yes. Yes. So so that was interesting because, you know, I, I moved to the States uh, because of Christina. Christina, my wife, lived here in the States. And I said, this is the perfect opportunity. I'm going to be able to live in, in this amazing country, which has done so much for me. I basically sold everything, my car, my bed, everything, and just moved, right? And we moved and, uh, you know, Christina was going to BU at that time in Boston, and I just got there and I said, I'm going to find a job. You know, initially my thoughts were I wanted to be in a franchise type of situation, mm. but I really couldn't find one that would fit my budget. So I started working with a physician practice over there just by looking and looking. And the curious thing, so here I'm going to show you another thing, which is kind of interesting. And I, I look at this back and it was funny because Christina said to me, so how much money do we need? This is back in 92. I said, I need $24,000 a year to live. Okay. So I'm thinking 24,000, 24,000, 24,000. My offer from the off from the, <laughs> the doctor, $24,180. Oh my goodness. That visualization <laughs> again. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I look at him like, oh, excellent. This is exactly what I needed. I didn't even negotiate. That's another thing that I learned later on. I was going like, this is exactly what I need. I'm taking it. And it was just right there on, on the money. So that's how I kind of got back into being an employee and working for people. But it was kind of a neat experience because I, I got to work for somebody, learn how to, you know, there was a, a medical practice. I know you ran medical practices. That's right. And it was, uh, this was a very small practice. So I was it, you know, I was from from greeting to running the administration to changing the, the trash cans. So <laughs> 
I was doing everything, which was excellent because I, I believe that it gave me a, a ground to really understand everything and not think I was too great to do something. Mm-hmm. Everything is important in life to do. But that kind of got me into the medical field. And uh, as my time progressed, we decided to move from in, uh, from Boston to Indiana just because it was more of a family atmosphere. My, mm-hmm. my wife's par- parents lived there, got into hospital administration. And uh, so I was in corporate world. We, I was in a, a hospital that you know became a system. We had about, at that time, over 5,000 employees. And I was running oh, their ambulance. Yeah, yeah, ran their employee, their ambulatory sites and their laboratories and imaging. It was kind of cool because uh, that's what, what really started to interest me about helping people. I, you know, my, I had a team of people, and I, I started really gravitating to to the fact of I loved working in teams. So you go from entrepreneur, so now you're you're a corporate guy, which is interesting. But then somehow you end back up in the entrepreneur space. Maybe it's when you moved to Florida or yes. Yeah. Share a little bit about that. Cause, cause you know, (laughs) I I just love this. So nothing is a a linear trajectory, right? We're all back and forth. And I guess I want to comment going back to you moved to the States without a job. You're pursuing a dream. In this case, it was Christina. You, You knew you'd figure something out. Your work ethic brought you to success. So think about that. So you, you go to Boston, then you get a job in a hospital system, which I imagine was a very, a uh, good job, good position based mm-hmm. on your work ethic. But now you, you come down here to Florida. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so I'm in, in the hospital system and a great place to live. You know, Indiana is a great place to live, but you know, I'm from Columbia. So I, winters for me were not the best. Like I, snow is not something I really like. And uh, we would vacation here in Florida and we're like, Oh my gosh, I wish I could do something in Florida because that's just the weather I would love to live in. Right. But I knew that hospital administration in Florida, they didn't really pay that significantly more than, than in Indiana. And my cost of living was going to be much higher. And remember, by that time, I already had four kids. So it's not like I had a, you know, a very easy kind of transition. But I remember one of the things I've always been blessed with as well has been I've had some great leaders that I've worked for. So I had this leader I was working at that time, right before the move, just before I'll tell you, one of my, my leaders, uh, she was like the, the head of all ambulatory services. And uh, she said, you know, Carlos, you always get more stuff because you're willing to take the stuff that people don't want to do. And I'm like, what do you mean? She said, yeah, you, you kind of like, we tell you, uh, like we had a department which called central scheduling and nobody wanted to have to deal with central scheduling. And said, Carlos, do you want to take it on? I'm like, yeah, sure, give it to me. I'll, I'll work with it, right? Because I'm going like central scheduling. That's like the, you, you talk about scheduling, but it's really the revenue generator for the, <laughs> for the whole hospital and the system. And uh, so she would say to me, because you do that, these things happen to you, right? Because you just, you're willing to take it. You're okay with doing that. And I said, yeah, I, I love challenges. I really love something that challenges me. I don't want to be just not doing something different. But anyway, as time goes by, I had a goal and that was either I grow with the organization and get to a different level, or my second thing is I'm going to move to Florida and do something. My reviews with my leader at that time were, so we go over the review and he says, so Carlos, what are your next steps? I said, well, either I grow into a new position or I'm going to start something in Florida. Two years of that happened, you know, I'm going through this whole scenario and again, I had a great job. It was a great job, but I, w- I, I never felt fulfilled with it. I, I said, I got to do something different. 
my wife is going like, Carlos, you're kind of crazy, but I really would see my kids in Florida. So I said, okay, let's do it. And the, the, the position came up, not, not a position, but the opportunity came up that we said, hey, we're going to do it. We're going to jump. I got four kids. We jump into Florida. And I told my boss, said, hey, uh, Phil, you remember our conversation every, every year? He says, yeah. I said, well, I'm going to do something in Florida. And he's like, what? I said, yeah, I'm moving. Wow. And we jumped and, and we never looked back. Well, and let, let me stop you there, Carlos, because I think that's noteworthy, too, because so many people get locked in. You're, you're controlling your story. And this podcast is all about the stories. And, and it, it is risky. That's a huge risk. Most people would have said, I got four kids. I'm staying. So I commend you for that. And, and it is doable. So for people who are listening, you can do things like that. It may be a little risky, but as well thought out. You've been talking about it. You'd visualized it, like going back to that beginning of our conversation. So I think that's absolutely fascinating. So, so you get to Florida, then what? I had another blessing because, you know, my father-in-law, he was a retired neurosurgeon. I got to open up a business with him. And in hindsight, even though at that time it felt like uh, we had some really good years, but it was also very hard because it was a very cyclical type of business. We're very seasonal. I got to work with my father-in-law for two years, uh, which those two years I'll never be able to get back. Share, that, share that everybody what, what you all did. Share everybody what you did. Yeah, yeah. So so I, I decided that I wanted to open up a company which was called I Wanna Have Fun. I wanted to get out of the corporate world and have fun. And what we did is we we opened up a shop down here in, in Lombok Key and uh, we rented and sold motor scooters, bikes, kayaks, everything for people to have fun. So you and, go from the hospital where you're probably wearing a suit every day yep, and, yep. and you, you move to Florida. So you do this probably in your 40s. Most people do this in their 70s. And then you open a shop on Longboat Key doing scooters. Doing scooters. And, Love it. You know, I had put the whole business plan. I'd done the same thing at the hospital. But one thing that I didn't really realize was how seasonal it was. And that was the first eye-opening experience for me was you can sell anything as long as there's a market. <laughs> but if there's no market... <laughs> there's nothing coming to you. So it was a very interesting business. When when the market was here, we literally, I was renting out even the trash cans. Like there's nothing in the store. Everything was gone. But then when there was no season, then it was really, really tough. So the whole thing with the cash flow was a very hard position. I remember, and this is probably one of the first times in, that I really got very close to God. Like uh, my faith, just became really, really big because, you know, I was coming from a, a paycheck drip, right? I'm in corporate world every other week, I get my paycheck, life is good, to that no longer exists, right? I'm hunting every day. We moved here in 2004 where the housing was crazy. We're building a house. So this is what's happening at the, uh, at the same time. We had our kids in Catholic school, which coming from Indiana, it was very heavily subsidized. Here it wasn't. Mm. my house that I was uh, selling in Indiana fell through. So I'm carrying my house in Indiana and I'm opening up a business and we're living in my father-in-law's boat for four months. Okay. With kids. And my kids thought it was the coolest thing in the world. They go back. I still ask them, Oh, dad, that was the coolest thing in the world. I remember it this way. And I told my wife misery and paradise. Because I would wake up and I'm going like at three in the morning, I look out and all these yachts and all this stuff and I'm in a beautiful mar marina. And I'm like, oh my God, what in the heck did I do? Yeah, I must be the dumbest person in the world to have ever done this. 
Hindsight, it was the best thing I could have ever done. But at that time, I literally, I would look in the mirror and cry. Yeah. And I'm not a crier. I would cry. I'm going like, what did I do? Not only for me, but for my family. Sure. And uh, so my house in Indiana, two years, not sell. Oh. So I'm carrying that. And I remember my wife and I went to Indiana to finally sold. And I had everything. Everything was packed. My car was packed. Everything was in the garage for two years. And I get there and I literally I remember it. And I tell you, I'm not a crier. I opened the garage door and all these boxes with all my kids stuff because they had nothing here. Yeah. Balling, balling. And Christina's like, it's going to be okay. I said, I know it's going to be okay, but I don't know if we did the right decision. We, we had a perfect life over here and I decided to, for craziness, jump. Um, yeah. But yeah, but anyway, so that, that got me into back into corporate. So that's when I ended up working with you and for you. And again, another blessing to have another great leader in my life. Uh, and not only a great leader, but also as, as you've over time, you've also become my, my friend and given me so much information and, and so much support that I, it, it just, it's been amazing. Uh, but then go back into corporate working in, in, in something that I'd never, ever heard. I think you had the same probably experience when they told you about PEO, I get a call from uh, the owner and says, Hey, we'd like to see if you want to work here. And I'm going like, okay, what do you guys do? We're a PEO. I'm like, what is that? This is we do payroll and workers comp. I'm like, so I'm going from I want to have fun to payroll and workers comp. I'm going like that does not sound like fun at all. Like I, he's going like, no, 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 but it's in the marketing and and I'm going like, okay, well I do like marketing and all that kind of stuff. You know, it became a very big blessing because that really has opened up this whole part of my life uh, in being in in the PEO industry. Yeah. So let yeah, me, so, let me jump in there because I think it's interesting. So entrepreneurial and and i mean candidly it failed you didn't realize the dream that you had hoped to so you pivot you know so often we hear follow your passion follow your passion which i just think sounds really nice but sometimes you just got to eat sometimes it takes a while to find your passion and so you say i got to take care of my family so you go take a job in an industry you never even heard of so i mean that's survivorship at its best and and i commend you for that so you get into this space um so you you work in corporate for the organization then you go back and be an entrepreneur again you start your advisory firm so a couple of things that happened there right so i remember my wife when we had to go on a have fun because i literally i would have days where i'd get like tons of cash hey i got all this cash and then days i get nothing but i remember christina would basically say carlos when is enough enough Ooh. because we have bills to pay you got the schools everything's happening there's, there's really no rhyme. I don't know what's coming in. It's the, you know, the first year you don't even know what's coming in, what isn't. And she's saying, when is enough enough? And I remember I would say, I don't know, but it's not now. Mm. And answer. I'm not going to give it. I'm not giving it. And she's going like, well, this is not good. I'm going like, well, this is not happening. I said, I have two options. Either I find something that, that works uh, outside of this, or number two is we're going to figure out a way to open up a second one. And because I said, if I have double the cash, then maybe I can do that. Right. And uh, so it, it wasn't like initially I just jumped into the PEO. I did some consulting and then little by little, I said, you know, I can see this working and, and I'm, I'm going to let go of the other thing and just sell off what we have. It proved to be very cool because I get to work with some really good people. I got to meet you. That is, again, part of my path. The PEO model was very interesting. I got to learn a lot about it. But, you know, when when the economy tanked, I think we had like 180 employees, internal employees. 
to by the time I actually left, because I ended up leaving, I didn't, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm done with this. Uh, we had like 40 internal employees. It, it was a drastic, drastic uh, contraction. But what it did teach me was, number one, you know, initially when things happen, you go like, well, some of these people, you know, they really weren't adding too much to the company. Uh, mm. But you start seeing people getting laid off every week. And it was it was gruesome. It was just like, ah, oh, and it was draining to see these families were going to have to go back and so forth. And so when I actually decided to leave it, it, it was based off of some promises that had been made that every year I would have to kind of change. And I'm like, I'm not dealing with this anymore. I said to Christina, look, I'm I'm going to I'm just going to start something on my own again because I don't want to be in this situation again. That's how I started the, the consultancy firm with no money. <laughs> I had no money selling everything we had I yeah. like I, my, my wife she has followed me even though she may not believe in what I was doing at that point we sold everything all her gold all of our piano I mean whatever we had I'm selling everything to to build yeah and, and I think that's important to note you can't understate the emotional drain and the impact that has on people I remember that time you were going through that because you and I were, were staying connected you know, I know you had to move your house you had to move into a, a rental and those were mm-hmm. tough times and a lot of our listeners will remember post recession or 2009 2010 2011 it it was brutal and here you are with five kids having to this sell your wife's gold everything to survive so you, you had a high years before then a low and a high and a low it's tough unfortunately it's part of life oftentimes and it's part of the story that you know in the journey you're on and God's plan for you for whatever reason but I think I think as you in fact I know as you emerge from this story things have really changed for you over the last what 10 years five years yeah look I believe that every one of these things has really impacted me in a very positive way you may ask Christina and she'll say those were the worst times and for me, those were the best times in terms of learning who I am and learning that there was nothing, nothing that was going to stop me. I would just kind of do things every day. We got to a point, Michael, we, it was, it was kind of weird when you say that. And it's, it's very important because I try to negotiate with the bank on our house. They wouldn't say, you got to become a default. For a, I'm going like, right? <laughs> then I'm going to have to default. What else can I do? I, I want to see if I can do. How can we work? No, we can't work. It was different times. Mm-hmm. But I remember distinctively one day that we had, we were at this place and my cash flow was terrible because people weren't paying me and all that kind of stuff. And we get home one day and this is the rental we were with my Christina and my kids. And I remember this vividly because I remember her face and we opened the door and guess what? No light. My light had been shut off. Oh my goodness. And Christina turns around and looks at me and says, I don't know what you're going to do, but there's going to be light here. I said, yes, there is no problem. Okay, so I go and I reconnect my own light. All right, <laughs> that's how bad it got. <laughs> oh my and, goodness! And, and my wife is like, "Holy mackerel, you did connect that?" I said, "Yep, I got it connected. It's, it's done. I, don't ask me how I did it. All right, it's already and we're we're all set." But it really taught me the fact that you can go way down and still make it happen. And I, and and it, and it got me to a point where I I just was not as fear as Sometimes I had fear about stuff. It's like, okay, it's another thing. Another thing we got to deal with, we keep on going. I get back into corporate again, into yeah. the PEO world. One of the things that I, that I did not like when I was on my own on that venture was I was on my own. 
I was a consultant. Every day I'm on a computer. I probably could have done very well with it. We're starting to get some good money, some good traction mm -hmm. over time. But I did not like, I was not feeling fulfilled because I just felt I'm, I'm just making money. And, you know, look, money is important, but it's not my end motivation. Like I need it, but that's not what drives sure. me. And what I realized is that dealing with people and dealing with team is really what I liked. And I, again, I was blessed enough again to go and find this team over at a, a very large PEO. Uh, and I had gotten a couple of offers, one which was literally about a couple of miles away from my house. And the second one was in Tampa, where I would have to drive every day to Tampa. And I remember calling Christina and she says, what did you think? I said, I'm going to work in Tampa. And she's like, what? I said, I, I, there's something with these people here that I believe I got to be here. I, I just have to be here. I see it. And she says, okay. And it was a, an amazing experience. Quite frankly, initially, you're going like, oh, my God, driving to Tampa. Beautiful experience living here in Florida, going over the Sunshine Bridge. Amazing. Oh, yeah. We were able to do some very, very cool things uh, with, with, with the team there. Yeah, and you were very successful. So you had a your your career trajectory. You ended up in a very high level position, running all of sales in the state of Florida, I believe, or at least a good portion of it. So very very successful. But here's what's interesting. So your company gets bought, and you're given an opportunity to stay on, and maybe even have more responsibility. But you choose not to. You choose to go back into entrepreneurship. Talk a little mm -hmm. bit about that and that decision. No, definitely completely makes. Yeah. So, so a couple of things as, as I go into that, right. So going back to the visualization, because this will tie it up. When I started working there, my boss, great lady, um, amazing lady. First thing we had the first year was uh, a trip to Tahiti. All right. So the, you know, the ones where you have the little huts in the water and everything, I'm going like, that is definitely going to happen. Right. So I'm visualizing this. And I told her, I said, I'm going to have at least 50% of the team going. And she looked at me like, Okay, Carlos, that sounds good. And we worked it. And again, again, visualization. Now, blessed, I have blessed very good team people we work with. We just had to fine tune some stuff. So the first thing that happens is we end up going to Tahiti. And I take 50% of the team. The second thing that happens is then I have a bigger trip. And the, the next trip we have is in Greece. And that was one of the things I always wanted to go, right, to the Greek islands. So I said to my family, and I, this is, I'm going back to the visualization. I said to my family, if I win the trip, I'm taking all of you with me, right? Because we had that opportunity. The company was so cool that said, you can take your family. You pay for it, but you can take it. So lo and behold, we were at last place to begin for the year, but we end up getting the first place of all the regions. And we end up taking the kids to, to Greece. An amazing experience. It was just an amazing experience. Uh, but anyway, we're having a great time. And the, the, the company decides to bring uh, one of these chief operating officers that's kind of changing everything around. And the culture really changed dramatically. I was very content doing what I was doing, working for that company. I had a great team. I had a great boss. I had like, literally, I couldn't, other than having to travel, there's nothing I couldn't say I wasn't happy about. And it was a great company. But when the culture changed and we get back into this whole situation of, um, we had to let go of some really good people. So here I go again, we're letting go of people, really good people for a very short EBITDA type number. And then we go and we hire again. I'm like, this doesn't make sense. So I got very disappointed with the whole method of how we did things. And so when we sold, you know, right before we sold, we literally were in positions sometimes that they were trying to figure out how we got changed and 
and the metrics were becoming very even hard to attain. Like if they were hard to begin with, now they were almost impossible. I had mentioned to several of the people, I said, hey, when we get bought out, we should start something on our own. Everybody said, yeah, let's do it. I think it's an awesome thing. I start building business plans. I start doing all this stuff. And that's where I told you about the whole Jack Ma thing, right? As soon as we got bought out, I'm like, okay, we're ready. I got everything set up. We're going to be an LLC. And no default to anybody. It was just, they didn't believe before they see. I was already believing a long time ago. I have a calling. I believe this is a calling. And it's much bigger than a profession. And, and it's much bigger than a business. Our goal is to really help a lot of people. That's what drove me to, to make this change. Now, not go out without no money. <laughs> which has its challenges in itself too. Yeah. You know, how interesting, what an analogy or similarity to your middle school experience where you got these, these kids going, yeah, I'll, I'll be, I want to be your partner and probably not dissimilar to this situation here 40 years later. And when it comes to honing up and saying, we're going to do it. And most people take that step back, but you went ahead and took your step forward. And so talk a little bit, I want to talk a little bit while in our last few minutes. So you've started this agency type of system, but profit isn't your motive. It's very interesting. I think all these years and all these experiences you have have really culminated in this model you've built where you want your people to be financially successful for the long term. Yes. And that's your yes. driving force. Yes. Being part of this very large PEO, we became very good at learning how to build sales teams. That gave me the experience to be able to do that. We, we fine-tuned it. We got very good at identifying the people, training the people, hiring the people. So essentially what I did is what I said, but, but we were only one company. So we were very limited on the products and the risk we wanted to take. So I, I said to myself, look, when I went on my own and I did some of this on the side, I'm still getting paid money 10 years later. And I did this on the side. I didn't even put a whole bunch of focus on it. Well, what would happen if we actually would do this? And instead of a VC company owning it, that we would have private investors owning a small portion of it. Number one, it wouldn't dilute my ownership in the company. And I wouldn't have to be answering to a group of individuals who are VC capitalists, uh, which is not my intent. And I know that's a, that's a good model. It works very well for a lot of people. Not my intent at all. My uh, exit strategy is I don't want to have an exit strategy. I want this company to become a multi-generational company so that you know my kids can benefit from it and so forth. So that's number one on that part. But the other thing that I noticed was as I've been in the corporate world and they have packages and so forth, the employees, they never had an opportunity to really create their own equity or wealth, unless obviously you 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 get to a certain rank where you can get you know shares and so forth like we did. But that doesn't happen to the sales team. It doesn't really happen. So I said, why don't we do something where we make it so that everybody wins? Not a few individuals who obviously, whoever's putting the capital has more risk in it. So obviously they have to win more, but not so lopsided that at the end of the day, everybody's working. And then when they're done, they don't really have anything. So I said, why don't we balance it? And we create a system where these investors, they wouldn't be able to have a, an investor in a big company because it would be impossibly financial. So let's, let's do it fractionalized. We'll do a two-man group for them. They put the investment. And then all we do is we run that model, that office or that agency that we call it agency. We run it for them. We charge them a management fee. And we get an override of all the sales. So we're all linked on it. 
But then our sales team, what we want them to do is to stay with us very long term. So we give them the option to have ownership in that book. So at the end of the day, my goal is that our system is not about you know how much money we made off of it. I think we're going to do very well financially. I believe so because it is it is it is already tracking that way. But more importantly than that, when we finish this, and you know the day comes for me because we all have that finite date. We don't know when it is that I will feel that I did something beyond my family. See, I've been very blessed. I, I've been, my kids and so forth, we've been able to do so much for them. Even though we've gone through those struggles, we've been able to do a lot of things for them. Uh, but being able to do something for more people and that they say, hey, because of the system, not because of me, but because of the system that we've been creating, that they were able to do things for their family, that's when I will say that was worth it. Yeah, and your model, and just just to summarize, because I've had an opportunity to work with you a little bit on it, is you, you do if for investors out there who don't have a whole lot of money, but you know, they've got something. What a great you're buying into an outsourced sales organization, and what Carlos and his team do because they're experts in sales, they've got relationships established, and they go out and hire and create incentives, long term incentives for the salespeople to stay. And so the driving motivation is these salespeople, if they stay in that role, they're going to have residuals and income for a long, long time to come. And that's that's not normal. And I know that's your driving methodology because we even talked about when you were starting this, I kept saying, well, why don't you want more of the profit? Why don't you want more of the profit? And you were very insistent on, nope, I want I, I want to pass down a legacy. I want this to be multi-generational. That's what's driving me. So I, I commend you for that. You've really built something very, very interesting, Carlos. Congratulations on that. Thank you so much, Michael. And, and I, we, I'd, re, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you to share one last story before we go. And, and I have to laugh because so Carlos and I were having breakfast at one point and I see this very visible, uh, loud colored Corvette drive by me and back in. I see the door open because I'm thinking, I wonder where Carlos is. And here's this six foot two monster of a guy coming out of this little Corvette. And so you, who's, who's one of, a very conservative guy, you're driving this Corvette and you've got a, a very special license plate. Share a little bit about that story. Oh, sure, sure, definitely. So my father-in-law was a, well, has always been a major influence in my life. Uh, great guy. He came from Columbia, became a neurosurgeon, uh, went to the Mayo Clinic. So he did all his uh, neuro, neurosurgery in the Mayo Clinic and with no English. Okay, so he came to the U.S. with no English. He, he passed all his boards with no English. He volunteered in the Army uh, here in the U.S. And, so, and the work ethic this guy has is just unbelievable, like unbelievable. Like, it's it just crazy. Like, the stories he would even share with me, like, get out of multiple days of surgeries and stuff, fall asleep while he's eating his soup just because he's so drained. So majorly big part of my life, major inspiration in my life. I think I've gone through some stuff, but the, the things that he did, it's just re really amazing. But anyway, he passed away in 2013. I promised myself, I said, because he was a major Corvette fan. He just like Corvettes were his cars. Corvettes, quite frankly, weren't my cars. So when he passed away, I, I made a promise to myself. And I said, you know, when the kids get a little bit older and I can have a car that only holds another person, because <laughs> that's not a very popular thing to do when you have younger kids. Uh, I said, I'm going to buy one and I'm going to get a license plate and it's going to say IMOT, I-M-O-T, which says in memory of Tito. I would visualize literally 
driving down to my house and I'm going, okay, I'm driving my Corvette and it's getting this and so forth through the grind and doing all the stuff that we've been doing. I wanted to honor him. It's just been very special. So again, that goes back to that visualization. One of the things I do and my wife laughs at it is I tell people what my visualization is. So that basically makes me accountable. Now I cannot hide from what I want to do. And uh, so I, I will tell my kids, we're going to Greece. I'm going like, well, how can I let my kids down? I got I to gotta make it happen somehow, right? So it really stretches me when I do these things. I'm never worried about stuff. I, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. A lot of people go, are you worried? I'm like probably in the stage of my life that I'm not a worried person about what's going to happen. Yeah. And fortunately, uh, you probably don't have to worry about a machine gun being pointed at your at your head. Let's hope not, right? <laughs> not anymore. Uh, Hopefully not. Yeah, what 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 a story, Carlos. And I, I appreciate you sharing so much. And I have multiple takeaways every time I, I speak with you. And it just reminds me, life is messy, life is dirty, and, and we all we all struggle with it. Even the most successful people have had some struggles. But if you keep your eye on the ball, if you visualize, if you commit yourself to hard work, you know, if you do the right thing, and Carlos, that's one thing always about you. Nobody's ever questioned your integrity. Do you do the right thing? that usually things are going to turn out pretty good. And it's not going to be a straight line, uh, but it's it's going to turn out pretty good. And you certainly just you know, knowing you and knowing your family, things have turned out very, very well for you. And, I, and I'm very happy for you. Thank you so much, Michael. You know, it's uh, one thing that they don't teach in school. And I think it's more important ever than ever. And I've noticed over time is the importance of failing. Failing is important. And as kids, as little kids, if you imagine if people were, like, as babies, were afraid of walking and you'd fall down the first time, nobody would be walking, much less running, right? So they take that away from us, right? We're, we're, we're taught in a way that failing is bad. Failing is actually the best thing that could ever happen to anybody. I encourage my kids to, to fail because when you fail, you learn. And when you learn, you get much better at what's coming up next. And uh, it's not it's not easy, right? You, you don't like to tell people, hey, I failed at this, right? People look at it and you're happy about it. Yeah, actually, you look at every single person in life who's much bigger, you know, has done a lot of big things in life. They failed a lot. That's the only way they made it. If they didn't fail, you just, you, 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 I think it, you don't learn as much. My personal thought. Great, great, great point. Failure can be a key to success. You're absolutely right if we learn from them. So true. Well, Carlos, I really appreciate the opportunity to interview you. It's been a treat for me. And uh, I want to thank Brian for this platform to be able to do this. I will see you out and about, Carlos. And I encourage everybody, if you if you like this podcast, please tell your friends to subscribe to it. Help Brian out because he brings these out every two weeks and they're absolutely phenomenal because it's just, just normal guys, right? Trying to trying to put a, make a little dent in the earth and do, do things a little bit better. So, Carlos, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Michael, and thank you so much for the opportunity. It's, uh, it's great sharing it with you. Back.